that should clue you in that this is no ordinary episode. It's a celebration. Today is our 100th episode. So come on in and join the party with four special guests. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. It is our 100th episode today, and we are celebrating. If you've been with us since episode one, even more reason to celebrate with us. We have come a long way from this virtually unknown little podcast two years ago to now one circling the globe in over 150 countries. And in true celebration fashion, we're bringing back noteworthy guests we have featured on the show in the past, and we're throwing this party live, unscripted, on the fly. So for the next 30 minutes or so, a mystery guest will drop in on us, whether it's a best-selling author or a global thought leader. I'm not going to tell you who they are now. That's the fun of it on your end. You get the element of surprise and, of course, sheer delight once I introduce them. So I'm going to keep you guessing and wondering, who's Marcel going to bring in to this party? So we have four mystery guests today. And what one thing I know for sure, <laughs> we're going to have blast. So welcome to my listeners to the 100th episode celebration of the Love in Action podcast. And what better way to start the 100th episode than by bringing back the very person who started this rodeo Way back on March 21st, 2019, Erica Keswin, welcome back. I'm gonna, oh, my party blower doesn't have a, a noise, so but I, the, so I wore a, a, a party hat. I had forgotten <laughs> that I was the first guest. That's so crazy. I hope that you get to watch the video if you could, you'll be able to see Erica's little what do you call that on your head? I don't know, some little uh party headband. <laughs> so I want to give listeners a proper introduction to you. Okay, so Erica Keslin is an expert in the business of working humans. She was named one of Marshall Goldsmith's top 100 coaches in 2020. Her work has been featured all over the place, including Good Morning America and Live with Kelly and Ryan. Her book, Bring Your Human to Work, was an immediate Wall Street Journal bestseller. And her second book, Rituals Roadmap, the human way to transform everyday routines into workplace magic, was just released in January of this year. Hey, even though it's a party, why we're here, we got to have a conversation, not just, you know, yes, party is good, but I want to talk about your new book, Rituals Roadmap. So what's the big idea behind it? So the big idea, you know, the way that I came to the idea and why I decided to write it was after I wrote Bring Your Human to Work and was highlighting tons of leaders who were creating a workplace that were better for people and also for business, I had this aha moment as I was getting feedback on the book and, and digging deeper into people's stories. And the aha moment was that the tools that many leaders were using to create a more human workplace were rituals. And they may not have been calling it that or even realizing that was what it was, 
But I was able to really connect the dots and see the through lines that whether it was how they were onboarding people or how they were beginning or ending meetings or celebrating milestones like we're doing here today, they were using rituals and the best rituals were really aligned to their culture and values. And so once I had that aha moment, I just knew that I had to write this book. All right. So talk us through why you kind of alluded already to why it's important, but why do we need to have them in our workplaces? Right. A lot of people do think about rituals more either in a spiritual way, religious or at home with your kids or with yourself. But what I found was that ritual, there's a real ROI around rituals and being in the human capital space. I always try to approach my work with both the stories of what leaders are doing, but also the science around it. So it's not just the touchy-feely stuff, that there are real bottom line implications. So I came up with something in the book called the three P's of rituals. This is what rituals give us at work. The first is that they give us a sense of psychological safety and a sense of belonging and inclusion, which we know have very positive benefits at work. The second P is rituals give us an opportunity to connect to purpose and to values. And if you add those two together, you Mm -hmm. get a boost of performance, which is the third P. So what do I mean by that? You know, many, many studies, one that jumps out is that when people work at what we call high trust organizations, organizations where they bring, can bring their whole self, where they feel that sense of psychological safety collaboration goes up by 47% and productivity goes up by 50%. So those are just a little bit of the few of the reasons why rituals are important at work. Yeah. Okay. Let's distinguish because a lot of people are thinking that ritual is like a daily routine that we might have. So, I mean, what's the difference between having a ritual and having a routine? Right. And it could be the same, but it also may not be the same. So a ritual has three parts. The first is a ritual is something to which we assign a certain amount of intention and meaning. Right. The second part is that there's repetition. So it could be every day. It could be every week. It could be every month. It could be once a year. But the third part is that a ritual is something that goes beyond its practical purpose. So, you know, if I'm sitting here in my office and the lights go out and I light a candle so I can see what I'm doing, you know, that's not a ritual. But if I light a candle every day at six o'clock to signify the end of the workday and the transition into my home time, you know, that's a ritual. And there it it is every day. And there is this meaning and intention around it. But I'm not lighting that daily candle so I can actually see. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned celebration is a ritual. I mean, and I can't think of a better ritual to at least to build community in the workplace where, you know, when we have a win, we celebrate together. Yeah. I don't know if we see that enough in the workplace. What are your thoughts on that? Celebrating at work. Yeah. I have a whole chapter in the book dedicated to, you know, celebrating milestones, celebrating performance, you know, workplace anniversaries, birthdays, all of these different things. So it's both sort of, you know, rituals for, for being there, but, and then also rituals for performance, you know, the employee of the week or the employee of the year. And, you know, many of these things, look, I was wearing my little celebration hat, you know, (laughs) doing these little things don't have to cost anything. Um, And again, if they're linked to your values and what's important to you, I mean, some organizations celebrate, have celebrations and identify somebody who's really living, living the values. Yeah. And those can have huge, huge 
implications both for you know how you feel personally, but also as part of your team. Yeah. Can you give us some ideas, maybe some rituals that besides celebration that we should be practicing, not just for the heck of it, although that's always fun, but actually for maybe increasing our performance or if you're a leader, engaging our employees, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, there's so many important ones. The way that the book is structured, it looks at rituals across the employee experience. So rituals around onboarding, rituals around having meetings, taking breaks, professional development. So there's so many, but I guess what I would choose to answer that question, I think both, both at home and at work as we begin to go back, you know, one of the places where we do need to to have rituals is to get us to take a break. That right. I think if we've learned one thing in 2020 and even into 2021 is that we can't sit in front of our computers all day, every day. And yeah. a really fun ritual in the book is from Allbirds. And they have a ritual called 40 at four, where they stop every day at four o'clock and do 40 push-ups. And now <laughs> they've been doing them online. And it you know, keeps people connected, keeps them laughing. And you know, rituals can be top down, bottom up, they can come from anywhere. And sometimes they just stick. And this particular ritual, I won't give the whole story away, but came from one of the employees who had gone to the doctor and set some health goals for himself, and decided to do a bunch of push ups and divided, you know, that number with the number of days left in the year, and he had to do 40 a day to reach his goal. And that's where it started. And now it's a few years later, and people either do the push ups, they watch the push ups, or they just, yeah, they just stop and, and chit chat. And it's a time for people to come together and connect. Yeah. What I'm getting out of this is that having fun is actually a much needed ritual, especially in this COVID era that, I mean, people are burning out and we, we have stress and anxiety off the charts. hundred. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I just did a, a webinar and I'm going to be doing for your listeners once a month. So you'll have to come next month as well. Okay. About how to, it was literally a hundred people showed up the other day and I ended up, so for the next one, I'm getting a bigger Zoom account because it didn't, you know, I, I didn't know how yeah. many people were to come, but it was about how to lead in the hybrid revolution. Yeah. And there's five things that leaders can be doing now. And I 100% agree with you. I mean, not, the number five, and they weren't really in any order, was we've got to have fun. These days can feel long, they can feel heavy. And the more that we can bring some fun and silliness and not feel guilty about it into these times are really important. Yeah. What about the ritual of, and I think I got this from your book, is of giving back. Yeah. I mean, giving back, there's so many studies about the impact that giving back has not only on the receiver, but on the giver. And, you know, as people do have these ups and downs and how we're all feeling during this time, giving back, and it could be writing a check, but it doesn't have to be. It could be giving your time. It could be making a phone call and checking in on someone, you know, who's not feeling well or an elderly neighbor picking up some groceries. It could be anything, but I am seeing, and many companies are really getting behind this as as well and are doing it from a corporate perspective and making this a ritual or even maintaining that as a ritual if it was something that they did before. Yeah, yeah. So you talk about ritual rock stars. Do you have an example of a real life ritual rock star? Yes. Well, I have one ritual rock star in every chapter. There's so many. Just the first one that came to mind is um, Mindy Grossman, who's the CEO of WW, you know, formerly known as Weight Watchers. And her ritual is really around personal and professional development and every week trying to learn something new for herself, which, you know, as a CEO, you think, huh, 
I just thought it was really interesting. We all have things that we can continue to learn. And I think professional development as a ritual is really interesting because in the human capital space, you know, and I'm sure you know, many of your listeners have seen some of this data that even more than, than compensation, sometimes growing on the job up, down and sideways gives you a higher chance of retaining your top people. Mm. I want to wrap up before, hopefully our next guest is going to jump in here any second, but I wanted to end this little segment with how can we remember our rituals so that it actually sticks with us daily? Well, my hope is, you know, rituals are more of a pull than a push. So rituals, because there's meaning and intention around it, you know, if it's something and all of a sudden you forget to do, it's probably not a ritual. And so, you know, that example of lighting the candle, or for me, I go and I get my coffee every day and I feel the heat on my hands and very mindfully taste that first sip. Trust me, I'm never going to forget that in the morning. And it's not about the caffeine. It's about much more than that. So I think for people that are thinking, what's a ritual and what's a routine? If it's something that you have to like, oh, I got to remember to do it. It's probably not a ritual. (laughs) Okay. Any final comments about your book before the mystery guest actually is about to pop in, but any final comments on that we should know about the book? You know, Rituals Roadmap, the book is out. You can, you know, get it anywhere books are sold. And I'd say what's amazing about Rituals is that they are highly accessible and they don't have to cost anything, but the impact can be exponential. That's awesome. And another mystery guest from the past has just arrived and I'm going to let him in now into the celebration. Who could it be, everybody? Who could it be? Let's put on our party hats. Erica, get your party bandana on. I got my popper. There we go. It is... Chester Elton, welcome to the celebration. (laughs) I brought my cowbell. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Chester is back for a third time. This doesn't get old at all. It's always an extreme honor to have you back. Thank you very uh, much. Yes, yes. So allow me to give you a proper introduction to the listeners that are just being introduced to you. Chester Elton, along with his business partner and co-author, Adrian Gostick, have written multiple award-winning New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling books, including All In, The Carrot Principle, The Best Team Wins, and really my personal favorite now, <laughs> Leading with Gratitude. And, you know, their books have been translated in a gazillion languages and have sold a gazillion copies worldwide. So Chester is the co-founder of the Culture Works a global training firm that counsels the leadership teams of Fortune 500 companies. By the way, put you on the spot here, even before we throw the spotlight on you, but I wanted to mention that, and a congratulations is in order here to you and Adrian for your recent recognition in the global top 30 gurus. Chester came in at number three, right behind John Maxwell, and Adrian came in at number five, which begs the question, Does Adrian now hold a grudge against you because you came in ahead of him? No, not at all. You know, it's really interesting. We we always just say, hey, we're top 10. We're both (laughs) top 10. And uh, we got news, actually, not only did we make that leadership list, but we made the organizational culture list, which we're very proud of, too, both in the top 10 there. So do we hold it over each other's head that I always beat Adrian? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we don't. (laughs) All right. So before I start talking about your new book. Do you know each other, Erica and Chester, or is this the first time you've met? I don't think we've met in person, but I will say, Chester, 
I had a long talk recently with Dory and she's like, you know who you really need to talk to and get to know? It's Chester. So I'm so excited <laughs> and um, we'll have to follow up after the fact and uh, get to know each other a little bit more. Absolutely. I'm a huge Dory Clark fan. I mean, to know Dory is to become a huge Dory Clark fan. So yeah, if you're friends with her, done. <laughs> That's great. Well, Chester and Adrian have also a new book out called Anxiety at Work, Eight Strategies to Help Teens Build Resilience, Handle Uncertainty, and Get Stuff Done. Love the title. So let's get right to it before our next mystery guest drops in from the sky. Tell us about anxiety at work, Chester. Let's start with the bad news first, okay? I, I like to get into the research stuff. So from the research that you and Adrian conducted, how bad is anxiety right now? Well, it's the number one issue in the workplace today. It really is. And, and COVID really shone a light on that. You know, I'm anxious about, do I have a job? You know, uncertainty has really become a way of life for just over a year now. And that just builds up and builds up and builds up. And I'll tell you what was really interesting is, you know, we have a database of over a million engagement surveys, plus 100,000 of our own, what we call motivators assessment. You know, what are your key motivators in the workplace? And generationally, it's become exponential. Mm. We laugh about, I'm at the tail end of the baby boomers, you know, and I'd say, look, we never would talk about personal issues. I mean, you checked your personal life at the door. It was work and it was called work for a reason because it was work, right? Yeah. And you would never say, look, I'm burning out. I need a mental health day. It was just absolutely verboten. And yet it's really funny. My kids, I'd say, you know, we would never talk about that. And my kids would say, dad, it's all we talk about. <laughs> you know, millennials and, and Gen Z. And it's really interesting. This was the number that really sparked us really wanting to work hard to remove the stigma in the workplace on, around mental health and particularly anxiety, that only 10% of employees surveyed said they felt comfortable talking to their supervisor, their boss, whoever it is, about their wellness and about mm. mental health. Only 10%. Because you'd think that all oh, these employee assistance programs through COVID are just being used by everybody. Not the case. And yeah. why? They don't trust it. They don't trust that they'll have a conversation that really will be confidential. Mm. Isn't that sad? Yeah, it's very sad. Oh. Yeah. So how do we combat this, <laughs> this growing issue at work? I mean, you have tons of uh, strategies that we employ at work. Want to give us some ideas? Sure. Some of the uh, strategies that I really, you know, there are eight, and yet there are some that you think, you know, um, have been popping up more often. And it's this idea of being an ally mm. in the workplace, that we're looking for allies. We've also launched inspired no part by you, uh, Marcel, that uh, we decided to launch a podcast. We figured we were the only authors that didn't have a podcast. And it's called, of course, Anxiety at Work. And we're able to interview, you know, a lot of counselors, a, a lot of, you know, psychiatrists and so on, along with a slew of business people that struggled with anxiety. And this idea of being an ally is that until you as the leader give your people permission to be vulnerable, they won't do it. And the way you do that is you are vulnerable yourself. So as soon as the, you know, your boss says, hey, listen, we've all been through a lot. And I want to tell you that I am burned out. I'm going to take a mental health day. And I want to encourage you that if you need a mental health day, don't worry about the stigma. And by doing that, she gives you permission. Yeah. If she's going through it, if he's going through it, we're all going through it. The other thing that we discovered very quickly is if, if people say they uh, haven't been dealing with anxiety and it's not a problem, 
they're lying to you. <laughs> everybody, everybody at a certain level has dealt with anxiety. One of the interviews we did that really stuck in my heart, Chris Rainey, this wonderful entrepreneur in London, HR leaders, does these virtual conferences that are beyond spectacular, had hidden his anxiety from his business partner, from his family, until finally in a podcast he was doing about employee assistance programs and a CHRO from a major company, admitted it. Yeah. Well, he forgot that he was doing it live and that his whole staff was behind him <laughs> listening in. Oh. And all of a sudden, he really, you know, he got caught up in the moment and he realized, and he turned around and he looked, he said, every pair of eyes was on me and everybody's mouth was, you? <laughs> like you, who's always so energetic and always says everything together. And he said it was the turning point. Now, asked him this question. Said, so Chris, so what advice would you have to other leaders when someone comes to you in that vulnerable state and admits that they're going through anxiety and they need help? What do you do? And it was fascinating. He said, as a leader, don't feel like you need to have all the answers. Hmm. In fact, people don't expect you to have all the answers. What they're looking for is they want somebody to listen. They want an ally. Yeah. So just be there. And that concept of being an ally in the workplace, and you know, if you're a woman in the workplace, it's still, there's still lots of perils. And Erica, I'm sure you can, you can speak to that. If you're a minority, there are still things you've got to be really careful about, LGBTQ+. And so you've got to create, you know, what Amy Edmondson talks about is this psychological safety. Right. Have you created a safe place to talk about this? And the way you make it safe and the way you become an ally be vulnerable yourself, right? Yeah. And let people know you care. And more than anything, just listen. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to circle back to Erica because we were just talking about rituals and psychological safety. Erica is one of them. Yeah. Yeah, ritual, right. Rituals give you that sense of psychological safety. I could not agree more with you about this leading with vulnerability. I have been in touch recently, and he's in my book, Bill Konigsberg, the CEO of Horizon Media and started a ritual during COVID called the Bill Daily, which is a daily email that started off with, you know, an update and here's what's going on in our business. And let's make sure our technology works when we all work from home and make sure that everybody's healthy. And he began to really share more and more of who he is as a leader. The feedback is off the charts. Employee mm -hmm. engagement is through the roof. And he told me it was sort of funny that about 40 employees are share, like have shared these bill dailies with their parents. And the parents are writing to him saying, this is amazing. And very recently, literally two weeks ago, he and I were chatting and he teared up. We were having a Zoom and his dog died unexpectedly young, like nine years old. And he shared it with everybody in the firm. And it, it makes people feel more. And, you know, I'm obviously, Chester, you, you wrote the book on this, but makes employees feel more connected to each other, to build, to the firm, and they just feel better and want to work hard and are more likely to open up themselves. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love rituals. You know, we, we did, found a fun story on rituals at fire stations with firefighters. And when they come in to see, you know, how is the crew doing? The first thing they check is, do they eat together? Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. They said, you know, when they cook for each other, when they eat together, that's the first sign of a healthy firehouse. Yep. He says, and if they're not eating together, there's all kinds of stuff underneath that you've got to figure out. So this, this ritual of eating together, 
I'll tell you a fun one, Erica. You'll get a kick out of this. And Marcel, one of the leaders said, look, you know, we are working ridiculous hours because, you know, the commute time is now work time, <laughs> right? If you're working from home and said on Fridays at the end of the day, Miss Leader, she said, we have a wine and wine party. <laughs> and what we do is at the end of the day on Friday, we say, look, bring your beverage, alcoholic or not, doesn't matter, right? And we're just going to complain about all the stupid things that happened all that week, uh, you know, and all the, and we're just going to whine and whine and whine. She said, it got so popular, I was thinking we needed a hangover Saturday morning, <laughs> you know, meeting. I agree with you 100%, though, these little things that you can kind of count on. And she said, by the way, it's not required that you come. And if, and if it's required, it's not a ritual. I mean, right. It. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, no obligation, no guilt, you know. Exactly. <laughs> well, guys, somebody else just propped in and another mystery guest. And uh, my goodness, I there was no way I could have a 100th episode celebration without this guy. Welcome to the party. Richard Sheridan is here. Ooh, it's a I even bell. brought balloons, Marcel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so good to have you. Rich was a guest way, 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 way back on episode five. And Rich, just so you know, we we had a different name for the podcast back then. The good news is neither one of us has aged a bit since then. (laughs) Well, let me give our listeners a proper introduction to Rich Sheridan. If you are just learning about Rich, he is the author of two books, Joy Inc., and Chief Joy Officer, and he's holding the books up on the screen if you're watching the video. My publisher uh, told me I had to do that. <laughs> and when Rich is not writing mind-blowing books on leadership and work culture, or speaking to the world's biggest companies and conferences, he leads Menlo Innovations as their co-founder and CEO, or as Rich prefers to be called, the Chief Storyteller of Menlo. The company has won the Alfred P. Sloan Award for Business Excellence numerous times. Menlo and Rich have been featured on the cover of Inc., Entrepreneur, Forbes, New York Magazine. It's so good to have you back, my friend. Great to be here, sir. So I've been dying to ask you this question. Chester and Erica, you guys can jump in if you want. But look, since the pandemic hit, I wanted to find out how COVID has affected this amazing company culture at Menlo Innovations. But first, for people not aware of how you did things up until COVID, talk a little bit about pre-pandemic. Give us the sort of the two-minute version of what has drawn thousands of people to fly from all over the world just to tour your company firsthand to find out about your culture. Well, as you know, Marcel, we work in a big open room, no walls, no offices, no cubes, no doors. We all sit shoulder to shoulder. Our team is paired up, so they're literally sharing a keyboard and a mouse with one another. Those pairs switch every five days. So we have an entire team of people that for 19 years has sat cheek to jowl for the entire time. We would have been dead in a month if we had stayed working that way after the pandemic hit. So it was a, it was a dramatic shift for sure. We all had to go home. But we maintain the principles of Menlo through the pandemic times of teamwork, collaboration, trust, empathy, relationships with one another, and keeping the human energy of our team high. Yeah, yeah. Erica and I were talking about rituals, which is the title, Ritual Roadmap is the title of her new book. I mean, so what are some rituals now that you are fully virtual just to keep everybody kind of engaged and 
into each other's work. Yeah, the rituals are actually the same. They're just virtual now. Yeah. <laughs> so there was some fine-tuning along the way. I'll give you an example. Every day at 10 o'clock, we have a daily stand-up meeting. That's one of our rituals. Now, the traditional ritual was it was called by a dartboard on the wall. The dartboard has an alarm and every morning at 10 o'clock, bong, bong, bong. Everybody in the company would gather in a circle. We'd pass around a two-horned plastic Viking helmet. That's the iconic symbol of memo. Because we work in pairs, we report out in pairs. And of course, none of that could happen because we're not in the same room. We shouldn't all be touching the same object anyways. And so when we went home, the team said, well, we'll just do a big Zoom meeting. Well, if you've ever been in big Zoom meeting, you know those things are disasters, right, waiting to happen. And they were for us. Our typical 13-minute daily stand-up with 50 or 60 people was now taking 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Team was tearing their hair out. They wanted to kill it. And then they came up with this really simple experiment. They said, as you arrive with your pair partner, just put your name in the chat window. Then we knew who was first, who was next, who was paired with who. And when we we get all done, now it's back down to 13 minutes again. So stand up, save, the ritual preserved. And we have many other rituals like that that have continued. They just had to be adjusted for virtual times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to let the guest ask you questions later on. I just want to get these two through here, questions that I have. So you've written two amazing books. With the theme of joy in it, it's in the title, and I think it's fair to say that we all want to experience joy at work, especially in a remote setting in the middle of a pandemic. So how do you define joy nowadays as the CEO of Menlo? Probably hasn't changed much, right, Rich? You know, I mean, the broad definition of joy for us is this purpose-driven joy, which is delighting the people we intend to serve. So that's where our joy derives from, is this idea of There are people in the world who need what we do, and we should delight them. And so that part of our purpose has remained the same. But, you know, if it was just the pandemic we were dealing with, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But of course, we were also dealing with the economic effects of the pandemic. So we actually set up a five-step plan to get back to what we call thriving again. And we're there now. It's awesome. (laughs) But it took us a year to get there. And it was this five-step plan that the team could see the progress themselves along the way and that deep satisfaction, which is really where joy comes from. Joy isn't happiness. Joy isn't that moment by moment. We have that too. But joy is this long arc of hard work done well together. So we set up this five-step plan of survive. I'm guessing a lot of people did. Adapt. There's a lot of that. Sustain. Get up to a new high level and keep it there emerge stronger, which was the most important part, and then thrive again. And that's where we are now. Yeah, yeah. And what is the enemy, uh, if you could pinpoint to the enemy of joy these days, what would that be? Same as it's always been, Marcel, fear. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the things we should be afraid of. The kind of fear I was brought up in as a leader, as a manager in my early days was how to motivate people with manufactured fear. Right. Raise an eyebrow at a meeting, huff a sigh, uh, you know, tell people, come on, get back to work. Are you coming in this weekend? You know, are you almost done? All that management by walking around and annoying people stuff. Not like the Tom Peters management by walking around, but the kind of walking around that just raised people's blood pressure as they were working. Yeah. Yeah. All right, gang. We got another mystery guest that just popped in. So let's get our party stuff out. Let's put our party hats on. I got my party blower. And here she's about to, and I'm just gonna introduce her right now. 
Dr. Annie McKee is here. Welcome to the celebration. So I'm going to give the listeners a proper introduction. Dr. Annie McKee is a best-selling author, a respected academic, speaker, and sought-after advisor to top global leaders. She is a senior fellow at the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education and has co-authored groundbreaking Harvard Business Review books on leadership, including Primal Leadership with Daniel Goleman and Richard Boyatzis. And in her latest book, How to Be Happy at Work, Annie shares wisdom and lessons learned from her decades of experience and research to reveal the essential elements that people must have in order to be happy at work. It's a fascinating read. And if you want to reference that episode, you're going to have to go back to episode 14 when I first featured Annie, where we went really in depth to discuss happiness at work. So welcome to the celebration. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So Annie, I want to ask you a few questions. And then, um, you know, I got Richard Sheridan, Chester Eldon, Erica Kesslin on the line as well. And at one point here, I'm going to throw the questions to you guys to kind of ask each other if you have if you have questions. So, Andy, I want to start with, you know, happiness in the workplace. It seems so elusive for working professionals. Rich was just talking about bringing joy to work. So why is happiness so elusive now, especially in a in a remote setting that we're in? That's such a good question. There was a time last summer when I was sort of doing a lot of webinars and talks and was asked to talk on the topic of hope and the importance of hope in the workplace and in life in general. And if you remember last summer in many parts of the world, in particular in the United States, we were in fairly dire circumstances with respect to not only the pandemic, but social situations that had arisen that were very, very disturbing. And and we're still there. So I found it really difficult to talk about elements of happiness for a while there. And then I realized, wait, no, Annie, this is exactly when we need to be talking about the importance of being hopeful about the future, about feeling a sense of purpose in our working lives. Marcel, I'm not so sure happiness is elusive to you know regular human beings. We yeah. all want to feel content and feel a sense of meaning in our work. I hear it all the time. What is elusive, I think, is figuring out how to focus our attention on that, not only as individuals, but as managers and leaders, and recognize the importance of it in terms of, if you want to talk about business results, in terms of business results, if you want to talk about humanity, in the sense of making sure that we are providing an environment or helping to create an environment where people can actually be their best. Mm -hmm. Well, you found three elements in the book or in your research that you published in the book that people must have, right, in order to be happy at work. You want to share those key elements? I think there's three of them. Yeah, there are. You've got a good memory, Marcel. Let's see. Okay, so the first one is a sense of meaning in our work. It honestly does not matter what we do. We need to feel like somehow we're making a contribution to something that's bigger than ourselves, whether that contribution is doing a job really well or helping somebody grow or maybe helping to create a service or a product that that people actually really need. We need to feel that our work has meaning. And as a person who's had jobs that myself, who that most people would say, well, that's meaningless work. Like back in, you know, my early years, many years of housekeeping and waitressing and that sort of thing. You can read my bio. I wasn't always at a fancy university. I know that even when we're in jobs like that, we need to feel that we're making a difference. 
Not that we should necessarily be satisfied and stay there because all of us want to advance, I think, and I really do believe we all do, but we've got to find something that's bigger than ourselves to care about. So that's number one. The second one I just talked about, a sense of hope, optimism, not just about our careers, but about our lives and about the future of the people we care about in the workplace, individually and collectively. And then the one that's kind of taboo to talk about even now is friends at work. Gallup knows this. The one item on the Gallup poll that is most predictive of engagement at work and being in your company a year later is, do you have a friend in the workplace, right? And by friends, I don't mean like, you know, the kind of friends we go on vacation with or even out to dinner or have drinks if we ever get to do any of those things again, right? (laughs) I mean, the kind of friends where we feel safe where we feel understood, where we are willing to be curious and understand the other person, even if they are very different from ourselves, a sense of caring and a willingness to act on it. So that's what I mean when I talk about happiness at work. That's fantastic. Well, you know, I've never done this before because, well, frankly, I've never had four previous guests converge in one episode. This is truly unique. So (laughs) I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to ask each other questions or me, or anybody. So speak now or forever hold your peace. Raise your hand if you have a question for another guest, and I'll just point at you and just take it away. So Erica, you got a question. So my question is for Chester. I was walking my dog in the park two days ago, and I ran into a managing director from one of the banks. And he was talking about the hybrid revolution and going back to work. And then as an aside, he said, you know, my company asked me to give a talk on mental health. And he's like, I'm not a practitioner, I'm a banker, but you know he's been there a long time and he brought a bunch of other people to be on this panel and to share stories about things that are going on with anxiety and working from home with your kids and all of that. 1,500 people came when it was announced, which may or may, I mean, surprised me. I mean, you're in this space. So I guess clearly this is an issue and you wrote this book on anxiety at work. I guess I'd love to hear what are some couple of the companies doing about it in terms of you you mentioned in your remarks about the destigmatization which is happening but are there some examples of of companies that are putting their money where their mouth is in terms of helping employees address it yeah several and uh, world class organizations one of my favorite is american express where you know the theme for the whole year was mental health and well-being and so they provided a lot of support as far as counseling and helplines and so on. More than anything, though, they shared stories. And I think that was really important. They, they even brought in some, you know, world-class athletes and they would have forums and the athletes would talk about the anxiety. They would talk about the barriers and they, more than anything, they'd talk about solutions. How do you deal with it? And I think that's really important is you make it a priority. Nabila Extalaban is this wonderful leader at Walmart Canada. 100,000 employees. Their number one priority this year is wellness and and well-being. So what do they do? They don't just talk about it. They gave everybody a free subscription to Calm. (laughs) Now, that may seem kind of of funny because we we put in our book, never in the history of the world has telling someone to calm down ever calmed down anybody, right? And yet the point is then they they, they create a path forward. One-on-ones are really important. And I'll tell you, Erica, one of the things that was really interesting that they did, went, because, you know, uncertainty is the number one generator of anxiety. 
is they they put together really good career path and career roadmaps for all their people. And I thought that was really interesting because the anxiety was, is my work good enough, right? And so on. And so by talking about it, publicizing it, creating tools to deal with it, and then that extra step, here's your career path. Here's what's expected. No more, no less. Don't work on the week. You see where I'm going with this. And they did a brilliant, brilliant job. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Annie, you have a question. I do. I have a question for Chester as well. Chester, when I'm talking with folks that I work with, whether it's, you know, it's consulting or in my own institution and certainly in in talks and things like that, I've been talking about what I call the second pandemic and the second pandemic being a pandemic that is rooted in stress and burnout. Do you see that? And what do you think that we collectively need to be doing about this, both in our personal lives and in our working lives? Uh, Great question. And, you know, it's almost right up there with what's the meaning of life. So thanks, Annie, for that. (laughs) 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 I I, I really do believe there will, and it will echo for, for years and years. Because you think about, in your personal life, kids that didn't have graduation. I've got a little two-year-old granddaughter. She's never had a play date, you know, with with more than like one kid. So you think of the ripple on that. So what do we do about it? And this is a a tall order because of what we've seen. And you talked about it so brilliantly, Annie, about it wasn't just the pandemic. It was civil unrest. It was, you know, a divide in views on virtually everything, right? One of the cures, I believe, is we need to bring civility back to the workplace and to our communities. And this is going to sound just bizarre. We need to be more kind to each other. You know, one of the things that we teach in our executive coaching, and I think that we need to adopt, whether it's at work or in our personal lives, is assume positive intent. And what I mean by that is when something goes wrong, and Richard's nodding, and I know that's got to be a big part of your culture, is that people come to work wanting to do a good job, and they will make mistakes, and that's okay. Let's solve the problem. Let's not vilify the employee. Let's not take everything personally. One of the best pieces of advice my dad ever gave me is he said, Chess, you have to choose to be offended. And I thought that was beyond brilliant. (laughs) So if, uh, you know, in dealing with this pandemic, we've just got to give people some grace. We've got to assume positive intent. There's a lot going on. We call it the duck syndrome in our book. That, you know, the Facebook life, you know, the Zoom life, oh, everything, everybody's put together. Your place looks great. And and, you know, that duck on the water just as smoothly. And of course, Richard and, and Eric and Annie, you know, what's going on underneath? You just paddling like a lunatic, you know. <laughs> so give people grace, be kind, you know, be grateful, be of service. Let's take a beat. You know, let's solve the problems because you're right. Absolutely, Annie. It is the second wave and it's not going to last for just a few months. You know, right. It's going to echo for years. And I, I hope that was helpful. Mm. That was super helpful. Thank you. Mm. Who else? Well, I've got a question for Richard. You know, when you have people come to visit and they want to see your great culture, what's the first thing you do with them? You know, it's funny. I, there are many times when I walk in the front door with them because we're arriving at the same time and they, they walk in our door and the human energy of Menlo just hits them. And I listen for it. And it's almost predictable. They say, wow. And then we take them around the room. We give them some background on why did we construct a company this way? But 
most of the tour, these thousands of people who come every day, is literally walking around the room, introducing them to members of our team so they can ask directly, what's it like to work in an environment like this? What are all these things you have on the wall that aren't just window dressing? They're literally running the company, and, and they're kind of amazed that a software company would use paper for running things, but we believe visuals, humans are visual tactile creatures, so we choose tools that work better for humans. And so those tours have just given people a chance to see a living, breathing example of what an intentionally joyful culture looks like. Because I think for all the books any of us have ever read or written, I think the reader is often saying to themselves, this is so cool, but could you show me an example, just one? And that's what we've become. And, and I'm delighted to say, and I didn't know this experiment would work, we started doing virtual tours of virtual Menlo last June, and we have entertained guests now from 59 countries, 38 states, and 2,000 people. And they are just as popular as the in-person ones and far more democratized because now people literally are coming from all over the world and it doesn't cost them anything other than the 90 minutes they spend with us. How do, we, how, do we, how do we sign up for the tour? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll send you, uh, Marcel, I'll have you share it not only with our, my fellow co-hosts, but with your listeners. And uh, All right, I'm in. Really, Absolutely. Right on, the, right on the website. And they're free. So Yeah. I've got a fun tradition for you, you know, where you're talking about rituals and you say, when people come in, they say, wow. In our family, we don't say, wow. We say, wow. Oh, I like it. it. Spells wow, W O W. This is mom. This is wow. <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Annie, I, I think you have another question. I do indeed. This one's for Erica. Erica, I love your work. The question is uh, you know, in the spirit of looking at relationships, one of the things that I've been looking at, and so have a number of my colleagues, is this thing that we call covering covering up aspects of ourselves when we enter the workplace in order to conform. Kenji Yoshino and Tony Nottingham has most recently done some really good work on that. We try to cover things like our our gender, our race, anything that makes us different in the workplace, whatever that might be. And the research shows that no matter what demographic we are, we all tend to do this. And the research also shows that when we're covering ourselves up, when we're covering aspects of our identity that are important to us, we cannot bring our whole selves to work. What do you think about that? I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, the goal is, you know, there's a study that shows that people who work at high trust organizations where they don't have to do that, where they feel comfortable bringing their whole self, you know, they're actually 47% more collaborative and 50% more productive. Wow. It really does. It not only impacts people personally, it's exhausting to keep that part of you hidden away, you know, which is why when I wrote Bring Your Human to Work, my goal was to show people that this is not only good for people, but also good for business with the hope that more and more leaders can themselves help to create a culture that where people feel comfortable bringing their whole self but also training that next level and that next level of managers to do the same. And the place where my work connects, you know, bring your human to work in rituals is that many leaders now are using rituals as a way to help people bring their whole selves, whether it's an exercise in the beginning of a meeting or checking in with people to see what's really going on with them. And, you know, what I, what I tell people, and we all know the pandemic has impacted all of us, 
but in very different ways. And, you know, we're, Annie, unfortunately, we can't see you, but the four of us were looking into each other's homes and offices in a way that we never did before. And while I do hope that, you know, I can one day go to Richard's company and walk through the physical space, I, I hope that six months from now, a year from now, we don't forget what we saw in each other's homes. And I think that's a positive in what's gone on over this last year that, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, we're seeing our kids run around, our dogs. I mean, um, and I think we need to capitalize on this moment to show the benefits of of bringing your whole self, even when it's hard. Oh, I so agree with that. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been great. I'll take one last question. That would be Richard. Hey, I just had this thought that never occurred to me in the 13 years we've been doing this at Menlo. We actually bring more than our whole selves to work because we have this tradition of Menlo now for the last 13 years where newborns get to come to the office with their parents, not a daycare. This is the babies with the parent all day long. So you literally get to bring your child, your brand new child to work in a front pack in a pack and play next to you. So we're bringing more than our whole selves to work. And we've always had a tradition of the dogs coming into work. And I don't know, you've probably all noticed this like I have. Have you noticed how many cats join Zoom calls now? They just love the Zoom camera <laughs> for some reason. So I think there's a movement we should all espouse, and that is bring more than your whole self to work. Right. And Erica, that'll that's be my next book. Talking about. <laughs> that's going to be that. the third book. Bring more than your human. I love it. <laughs> and you can credit Rich partly I for will. that. 100%. Yeah, you, you know, just just one comment on that, Richard and Eric and Annie. You know, all these things we're talking about, whether it be rituals or being safe at work and caring about each other. The whole self, I honestly believe that this movement for a, a kinder, gentler, more meaningful, purpose-driven work, it's not just a better way to work. It's without a doubt, it's a better way to live. And so I just want to thank all of you for your work and say, look, this, this, this isn't something you leave at work. This is something you carry with you in every phase of your life. We talk about leading with gratitude. Great way to lead, better way to live. You know, it absolutely is. So thank you for all your good work. Mm. Well, on that note, we're going to end. And I don't have a special explosive big ending here. It's just the fact that I'm thrilled the fact that you guys chose to accept this Hello. <laughs> Hey, this is unscripted, so we're not, we're not uh, editing anything out. <laughs> but Good. I wanted to truly from the heart say thank you and let you, you guys know that the strength of a podcast really leans heavily on the, the conversations that happened with stellar guests and i could not have gotten as far as a 100th episode not even the 50th episode without people like you doing the kind of work that you do for me to have a platform so that we can talk about how to shift the workplace and make the workplace a better kinder gentler place for everyone to not only survive but also to thrive and that's what we're after we want our workplaces to thrive and human beings to thrive as well so I want to thank you so much for joining in the celebration. Thank you. Happy 100. <laughs> so, I can't wait to see who joins us on episode 200. And we'll have to wait a couple of years from now. So, and thank you, Love and Action Nation, for joining the bandwagon and spreading the love into what has now become a global movement. On behalf of Richard Sheridan, Erica Keswin, Chester Elton, and Annie McKee. My name is Marcel Schwantes. We'll see you next time.
Well, there's no way I can end this special episode without praising and acknowledging the people that have made this podcast possible. Well, first and foremost, I want to thank my beautiful wife, the love of my life, for believing in me when I was questioning whether this was a, a worthy endeavor. Was it going to be worth my time? Was there going to be a return on this? So I want to thank my wife for seeing the possibilities when I couldn't. I love you, baby. Thank you. Many thanks to my good friend, Brian Dickinson, for having faith in me as an early investor. Brian, love you, man. I want to thank my good friend, Kevin Monroe, who is a prolific podcaster and storyteller for inspiring me to venture into the world of podcasting, really for the lessons I learned from him while listening to him over the years. Thank you to all of the PR firms and publishers who work with me to bring these world-class guests to the show every week. You know, you make my job so much easier, and I am grateful. But I'm especially grateful to one PR firm in particular. You know, as a podcaster, columnist, thought leader with, with a global platform, you can probably guess I get my fair share of PR firms pitching their stories, their books, their guests. And then you have that one PR firm that stands head and shoulders above the rest. That's why I have to give a huge thank you and endless praises to the team at Fortier Public Relations. Mark Fortier, their CEO, leads an amazing cast of professionals, and I am grateful for working with each one of them. also want to thank my production team at One Stone Creative who puts together each and every episode. Thank you for your inspiration, support, and great ideas over the last couple of years. You know, looking back, I see the evolution of the host and of the show's quality, and I have you in part to thank for that. Thank you to every amazing guest I have featured. I have learned so much from all of you. You have each been a gift to me. I'm grateful. And thank you to my sponsors for partnering with me to help me grow this podcast and push this love and action moving forward. And we wouldn't have a show if we didn't have you, our faithful listeners, coming back every week. I am in deep gratitude to you for listening and sharing the episodes and writing these great reviews that we get and for believing in the power of love in action. And finally, thank you to the one above, you are the whole reason I do this. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the love in action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.